Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles, the Managing Director of B Squared and the host of the Sendcast, a podcast for special needs. Each week, we're going to be talking about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools and to empower parents. In this episode, we're discussing being human and flipping the narrative. My guest this week is Ellie Chappell, founder of the Flip the Narrative movement. There is a hashtag on the beginning of that. And Ellie is a trainer and coach helping people to support different, in air quotes, children. The Sendcart is created and produced by us here at B Squared. We are the assessment people. We help to show the small steps of progress pupils with SEND make. And we can help schools to show progress for a wide range of abilities and ages. Did you know about autism progress? Our framework for helping profile a pupil's autism and how that autism impacts them. It is based on certs and looks at communication, social interaction, emotional regulation and flexible thinking. Autism Progress also includes a wide range of strategies to help support the pupils as well. Visit the B-Squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me to take you through our assessment software and Autism Progress. Now, let's get on with the podcast. On this week's show, we're discussing being human and flipping the narrative. Joining me this week is Ellie Chappell, founder of the Flip the Narrative movement. And Ellie is a trainer and coach helping people to support different, in air quotes, children. And Ellie has spent several years trying to help flip the narrative. Ellie provides training, coaching and trauma, being human, supporting those different children, in air quotes, once more. And she speaks at various events, including a TEDx talk. Welcome to the show, Ellie. Hi, Dale. Thanks very much for having me on here today. You are welcome. So we talked about being human and flipping the narrative, and most of the people listening to the podcast will completely understand the idea behind flip the narrative, but there are lots of people in the world who sadly don't. So let's start off with that phrase, what do you mean by flip the narrative? It's really shifting our conversation holistically from a deficit to a positive. So when we talk about people that we think are, in air quotes, different to us, we're actually talking about human beings like us. Yep. So I try to flip that on its head for us to reframe our thinking to we're all one, we're all humans, we just happen to be different and have been forever and ever and always will be. So I think we've got into a bit of a sort of channeled rut at times where we think somebody's so different to us, you know, we can't possibly connect. We can't help. We don't know what to do. But in essence, we forget that they're just another human being. And we can connect. We can always connect with another person because, in essence, we're the same, regardless of whether we've got different minds, different bodies, different life experiences. There is always a point of connection if we sit with somebody and find out about them and authentically decide we're going to show up as ourselves at the same time we will ultimately find a way to connect and support and walk with them. I was listening to the radio this morning and it had Lenny Henry on talking about some book he's written, but it's kind of his his mum, was it his grandparent, grand, I think, might have come over with a wind, wind rush. Yeah. He says we were invited over and yet his grand, when she was a child, was chased around going, where's your tail? And it is it was that difference. And it's like, it was different. 
oh my God, you're different. We're not the same. And we know we're the same. We know that now. And kind of flip the narrative is doing the same thing. When we think of people with autism, autistic people, ADHD, all these different things, we are still human. We're just different. Yeah. And some of it is a visual. Okay. You're in a wheelchair. I can very much see that difference. I know the cause. But with other things, autism, ADHD, things like that, you can't see it, but it's still human. They are. Everyone is. And the thing is, it's not something to fear because it's just a different way of being. There's so many diversities in our species. I mean, if you look across any sort of pool of people, there is no single person that is the same as the next at all. It's not possible. So we are bound to have very diverse ways of thinking and being. And I put a quote up the other day that was talking about, you know, when we go abroad and we visit different cultures and we learn about the culture and we might know that in some cultures it's not acceptable to look people in the eye or you don't hold, shake hands, etc. We don't seem to have an issue with doing those things when it's based abroad or we're visiting somewhere, but we do seem to have an issue when we're talking about differing ways of being right in front of us, we sort of put up this wall and we say, that's not the way we should do it. We should do it like this. And what I'm inviting into the conversation is, well, why? Why is it just one way? Why are there not many ways of being and many ways of doing things? And shouldn't we be open to learning about that? And the only way you learn about it is when you get to know people and you make an effort to find the point of connection and you show up authentically, that's really important that you show up as you as a whole because many people are very good at spotting uh, somebody who's faking it. So my daughter's very good at that. She's very astute. She doesn't have vision and her hearing's poor, but her sense, her other senses are highly attuned. You could say she's very emotionally intelligent So she can assess quite quickly where we're at in terms of what we bring into the room and whether we're going to meet her where she is, sit with her, walk with her and be open to what she's showing us or whether we're going to try and state that that's not right. You should be doing it like this or and I think it's it's really asking us to question that whole concept of what is normal, because there isn't a normal There is only a huge diversity of ways of being, and there are many, many different minds and bodies and experiences within that. I'm just, I'm literally thinking about that going on holiday, and you do, when you go on holiday, you accept that where I'm going, I have to fit into their customs and their traditions and all those sorts of things. And if you go to certain countries, your left hand is considered a dirty hand, your right hand is a clean hand, which makes it really hard if you're left-handed and you're reaching. So you don't hold a business card with your left hand because that's considered rude. All these, and you, you go there and you accept the case. I'm here. I have to do these different things. But I think, kind of, I think when when we're in England, when we're at home, we kind of go back to, well, this is what I was taught growing up. So this is how I'm going to be, and I'm not going to put any effort. And this is how I need should be because this is what I was taught as a child, which may or may not be wrong. If you're not open to things, it was probably is wrong. But it is actually why are you so set in that stone? As you get older, your world changes. So why can't we change and treat people equally, even though they're different? Exactly. I mean, if I think back to the way I was brought up, 
it's a very, very different life now. You know, my children remind me about that daily. Yes. Oh, mum, you did this when you were younger, but it's not like that now, mum. Get with it. It's that kind of thing. You know, we evolve and change all the time. That's the beauty of our species. We are always evolving and changing and developing and making things hopefully better for the next, you know, people to arrive. And it's, I think we get stuck on things like it's always been like that. Why do we need to change it? Well, I was taught like that. There was nothing wrong with me. So why do we need to change it? But that's like saying the first flip phone was fine. We don't need to change it. Nobody would be satisfied with that, would they? Because they'd be like, we don't want a flip phone or a huge six foot phone next to our ear. We want an iPhone that's quick and efficient and does all these fancy things. It's it's just part of how we evolve and humans aren't any different. You know, that's why across the ages we have evolved and we've done things differently. But we get stuck. I don't know why. And I've thought about it a lot. I think perhaps for those who haven't experienced essentially difference up and close and personal, maybe they don't want to look at it. Maybe it's too big a topic. It's too difficult, too hard. But it's all around us and everything we do. And essentially, when we remember that we're all human, we approach it as a human being. And it's a simple approach. It's an approach grounded in empathy, compassion, um, equity for all, respect, you know, kindness. It's, it's all of those human skills that we all are born with and possess. And it's just how we treat one another, because people will always remember how you made them feel more than potentially whatever you said. So it's the feeling that we carry and embody. Just thinking about Bessel van der Kolk, you know, how much he talks about the body keeping the score. And that is absolutely, you know, our footprint carries long and wide. And it's remembering that whatever we say or do when we're with someone, it makes a mark. So we have to think about that. We have to think about what are we actually doing to evolve things positively? What are we modelling to our kids? when we respond in certain ways, are we saying that forevermore there shall only ever be one linear route because we're made up of ones and zeros? You know, we're not data. We're not. We're people and we're a very diverse group of people and we always have been. We're getting better at accepting slowly that we're different, but there's still sort of people stumble over it and say, I don't know how to do it. And it's like, well, you do know how to do it. Because you probably do it in many ways across the day. If you keep trying to focus in on it being a particular thing. I mean, there's always, I would say, when you're meeting someone, you're going to dig in deeper to who they are, specifically what they need to support them and how you're going to have to work differently. That's always part of our learning and growth. And we need to be open to that because we are ever evolving, you know, as responsible adults and teachers with our children or others. But I think we've got to drop the fear around it being so big and so difficult because it isn't. It really isn't. It's just a natural part of our life. We are massively diverse. There's no getting away from that really simple fact. I I love your phone analogy. And we've used it here. It's like, why are you not still driving around in your Ford Orion gear that you had in the uh, 90s? It was your first car. Why have you got a new car? That was a car. It, it drove you. Why have you got all these new things? Who needs central locking or anything more than a tape? Yeah. Why Why have we done that? Because you want it. Cool. And that's the thing. I think when we look at that, it's 
we see it as, I think we accept change if it's going to improve our lives sort of thing. We kind of, oh, that's going to be better for me, so I'll do that. But I think when we see humans, it's not that we've upgraded. It's not I've got bionic arms or I'm suddenly this or I'm suddenly that. And you go, oh, it's different. It's We look at each other, I think, as the same. So therefore, why do I need to change? We are the same. And that last bit there is I can't do it because it's such a big thing. And I think when you talk about flipping the narrative, it kind of can sound like a big thing. But all you're really saying is, Flip the narrative with each person you talk to, one person mm-hmm. at a time. Not yeah. the whole world. Just when you meet that next person, just go, okay, they're not normal, air quotes, but what is normal? Okay, let's find out from them what they need. Let's find out how it's going to go. Let's see how it's – rather than deciding beforehand. Yeah, absolutely, because there isn't a normal. It doesn't exist. We're too I, different. I was, I was normal. Yeah. I was normal until I got my diagnosis in February, and then I suddenly became not normal. I'm now autistic and ADHD. But until then, I was perfectly normal. But now I have a label, so I'm not normal. But so this, you have to treat me differently. But this concept of normal is just, it's just bonkers, because if you've got such a diversity within one species, what what is what is the linear, you know, what is it? And... It can be a set of societal principles, but, you know, that would be out of date because we are no longer just, and we never have been a machinated sort of line of people that come out of a factory in boxes. That's not what happens. And I think we are, I think people seek comfort. I think it's a comfort and safety thing when we want to hold on to things in the past because that's what we knew. That's what we grew up with. It's our safe space. It's our comfort space. I can understand that and I can empathise with that. But it's saying you also need to find safety and comfort in this different way of thinking because that there's a place and space for everybody there. It's just stretching and evolving to where we need to be so that we can actually share this space together better. And Rumi has this beautiful quote that talks about meeting in the field. So, you know, aside right doings and wrong doings, in the middle there's a field. I'll meet you there. And that for me is perfection because that's about saying, never mind what or who we are, if we're going to share a space together, we've got to find the bit in the middle and there'll be a point of connection. And somebody shared something where I just thought it was so brilliantly put that two people meeting don't necessarily think they have anything in common and yet discover they both like the hash brown bap in the canteen. That's the point of connection. That's as simple as it can be. Oh, I like something that you like. So maybe we aren't that different because we've just connected over something completely random. So there is always a point of connection. There is always a way to start a conversation differently and find out things about one another that might throw us at the start and think, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this. That's just stretching and growing. That's learning and developing. That's scary stuff, whether you're five or 55, it's scary stuff because you have to challenge your own assumptions, think differently, question what you've already learned. How's that going to evolve? What does it look like? But that's learning and development across lifetimes. That's what we do. And it's what we do when we evolve and change our flip phone into our iPhone. You know, we stretch from my mum would categorically hang on to the Blackberry for the rest of her life if she was allowed. She does not want to change. 
she's finally moved to a touch screen and it's taken a couple of years for that. But that's okay. It just took her, you know, she was really uncomfortable with it because I don't, I don't know how to do it. And where do, what do you mean I press the screen and it does this? And it's it's not so far away from if we break it down to what's actually going on when we say we're struggling. It's we think we are so entirely different. Yes, we have different minds. Yes, we have different bodies. Yes, we have completely different, unique life experiences. But we are able to connect and we are able to find ways of sharing the space with also, without shooting each other down all the time. Because there's no, that's not going to achieve cohesion. That's not going to achieve diversity. That's in its real sense of being, you know, a beautifully shared space. That's just going to achieve more and more conflict or the oppressed becoming the oppressors, you know, one picking up the baton. And it's it's moving away from that and saying, how do we find that bit in the middle? How do we sit in it in that discomfort? And how do we find the way forward together? And can we commit to doing that learning and growing? Because it will require us to be able to cope with the contrast and cope with the challenge. I think a lot of people think kind of our experiences define us so the type of job you have where you work where you live the type of house you have the clothes you wear and you meet someone who isn't dressed the same as you lives in a different part of the country lives in a very different house has a completely different job they're completely different but you both like star wars you both like pasta but you spaghetti but you cut it you don't twirl it you realise actually, although you are in reality living very different lives, you've got lots of different personality connections. You've got the same views. You support the same football team. You like the same brand of clothes. You both get annoyed by the same thing. You're literally going, oh, are we so different? And I know people, like the, was it white collar and blue collar type jobs? And people would sit there and would change. Oh, no, you've got to change friends now. Why? Because I'm a white collar worker or the other way around. And I'm literally going, that's bonkers and I know someone who went from working in an office to being a plumber and some of their friends stopped talking to them and it's like sorry what has what that person does between nine and five how has that changed that person after 5 p.m they were your friend why has their job changed them being your friend it makes no sense we take these stupid things which don't matter and decide how an interaction's going to go. Yeah, and I think we hold on to, and again, I think it's comfort and safety, you know, our groups and what defines us, our identities, you know, where do we feel safe? Who do we align with? But it's asking us, you know, in, in a very diverse group that we are collectively, we have to be able to share space with many different people over the course of a day sometimes, if not, you know, a lifetime, so many different types of people. And I, I watch my daughter quite a lot because she is, she's so amazing and the way she does it. She doesn't seem to come to the table with a bag load of grudges. And she's, she's on what I would say the sharp end of a wedge, you know, she doesn't have as much of a voice in terms of how she can defend herself or how she can speak up about what she wants. But if you spend time with her and observe and think about what she's showing you, she's incredibly present as a human being. She doesn't sort of start her, her day full of woe and, oh, God, it's Monday. 
she's pretty joyous most days she wakes up. It's kind of fresh slate. Here I am. It's Tuesday. Let's do it. And she has a way of infecting the atmosphere around her and everybody's magnetized to it because she's just got such a an openness to her. She's not sort of carrying all that baggage of grudge or, you know, I don't like this or I feel like that. And I don't know how she achieves it. I don't know how she, she is in that state every day. I just find it fascinating because it lifts everybody. It does. It really does shift the whole environment. And you can see how it ripple effects and people start to feel different, think differently and talk to each other differently in her, you know, in and around her. And that's really powerful considering for a lot of the time society disregards her or her value because she's sort of in the shadows, as it were. But she's she's one of those people that if you ever have the opportunity to spend time with and engage with and be with, just be, even if it's in silence, it really impacts your impacts your thinking. It's what started my thinking, my questioning, my curiosity, insane levels of curiosity. Why? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? Why can't we do this? You know, why can't we do it? A ridiculous level of optimism, but we can. I know we can. There's a way to do it. This solution-focused thinking, it all stemmed from spending time with somebody who just makes me think about things a lot all the time and a huge level of reflection about what that is and why can't we fit together you know why would we all be in one space and one time if we weren't meant to sort of find the way to share it and you know post-pandemic you would think we were shifting more into that like because we connected when we were divided we became this drive for connection reappeared when you divide humans, they don't like it. They don't. We actually need one another. We really need one another. Yes, if we irk each other and we get it wrong on the way to getting it right, that's really important. We can't be perfect. We're not going to be perfect. But it's being able to sit in the space together and think, right, there is a way through here. I potentially don't know enough about you. You don't know enough about me. How can we further this relationship? How can we walk together? you know, equally, as in, you know, parallel rather than one doing to another, you know, keeping that power and balance steady so that it's balanced rather than imbalanced. And it's, I just don't think a lot of it is tricky. I don't think it's complicated. I think we make it complicated and it's actually a lot more simple than we think. Podcast I did with Ali Knowles, a long time ago now it was called why we are the way we are and she talks about this tunnel you build for yourself that you mm-hmm. follow you drive down you look at your jobs your people okay so what does my dad do he does that i might follow my dad was my mum do i might follow that you look at all that stuff and you build up what's a very safe tunnel but that tunnel is doesn't exist it's just based on all those experiences all that baggage and you often lack another perspective and it might be you meet your partner who has a very different perspective and you start seeing the world in a very different way because now someone's showing you you can do things differently there are options and you're going this is interesting and it kind of grows from there and I think COVID really gave us that different perspective we we were living a life it was like those old cartoons where you kind of just treadmilling aren't you You're just yeah. treadmilling through your life from age 18 to 65 and you die type thing and it was just just that and we actually got to covid and we went okay 
I'm now looking at my life from a different perspective. I've now got time and I'm not liking this. And no, we're changing this. And that's been really fascinating. And one of the things, and I, I always found this, and apparently it's Finton taught me it's an ADHD thing. It's sort of like one of his questions is asked is, do you get on better with older or younger people than people who are old age? And it's due because partly because I, when I speak to someone at my level, I, I bring baggage with me that they're expecting something from me and I need to fit in with them. So I have lots of baggage with me, which then makes me kind of not really join in because I'm not quite sure. But when, like, if I'm at my, my friend Johnson, his daughters come up, I don't think of them as John's daughters. I think of them as his daughters, as in one's called Astrid, one's called Alba, and I meet them as people and what they're into. I'm not going, oh, you're John's daughter. What do you do? I go, hi. And I have an interaction with Alba or Astrid. I'm not because of your John's I treat you as your John's daughter. You are Alba. You are your own person, your own right, with your own interests, your own personalities. What are we going to talk about? And if, if that's what you're saying to do, isn't it? With flip the narrative, don't kind of go, well, this is a situation. Okay, you're in a wheelchair. I'm going to talk slowly to you because you're just definitely disabled and you can't understand me. It's okay, you're a person. Let's just start talking and see where we go. Yeah, it's roomy in the field. You just go straight in at the point of, you don't know me, I don't know you, we're having an interaction. I guess we're similar ages, but we've never met before and I have no preconception about you. I don't know anything about you. You you know a bit about me from what I've written on a bio, but yep. other than that, this is our first ever interaction and we're just meeting each other where we are and we're having a conversation and we've got no idea where it's going to go really but it's we're talking about the stuff we it's just curiosity led it's like who are you who am i what do you do what do i do where do we fit together at this point we're sharing a podcast space but it might have been a work canteen space or it might have been i needed to ask a question at work or maybe i was in school or whatever and it's just dropping assumptions not being fear-driven or led and thinking all of this stuff that floods the front of your brain, which is usually facilitated because there's some kind of threat in there. There's some kind of fear-laden thing kicking in for us. And it could be subconsciously. It could just be boom, 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 boom. All these things fall in because something is reminding us of something else. And it's trying to step away from that. I always say a powerful pause is really helpful. Just take a powerful pause, take a breath. You know, it's starting to kick in. Just stop. Just take a breath and then start. And start from human first. You know, it's just another human being. They're just like you. They're just different to you. But how do you ever find out anything about anyone without connection and the willingness to share the space and find out and step forward and possibly take two steps to the left wrong and have to track back and the other person being okay with that. Like, yeah, okay. So I know you're trying your best and that went wrong, but you know, we can try again and go the other way. And it's giving each other a bit of room to have like these safe fails as we call them, you know, like a safe fail is really important because we can't always get it right. But if the intention is not to harm, we need to give space for that as well because people cannot get it right all the time. That's, that's just a human thing. We will make mistakes. That's part of how we learn. I think for me, 
what I do in most situations, and sometimes you know you have you have a disagreement and you sit there going, oh my God, how they thought that. And I generally think of like take a step back, what is their underlying intent? And sometimes someone may attack you in a conversation and actually, right, take a step back, what are they doing? They're they're looking out for their child. They're trying to look after their child and support their child. And that basically, this is not a great situation because it's kind of in this situation, it sounds like we're going, you can, you can literally take a step back and go, what is their underlying thing? And that way you can literally going, they're not really meaning what they're saying. They're frustrated. They're lashing out and just take that step back. But we do the same. So when I'm doing something, it's again, going, okay, what am I saying? Am I actually, no, I'm saying it's not help. What I'm saying isn't helping the situation. So I will often think, oh, I want to say this because blah, blah, blah. But actually, it's not going to help that situation. It's, and it says, there's no rules because you can't say, here are the five steps to have a great conversation with someone, apart from it just be be open, be humble, be kind, don't judge. There you go. Actually, I've done five really well, done me. But it is that sort of thing is there is no simple rules. You've literally got to look at that person in front of you Try and get rid of all your prejudices, all those stereotypes that you've heard and maybe seen on TV in the 80s of a person in a wheelchair. Okay, what do I just go? Okay, I'll find out from you. Not I'll use what someone else has told me. I've never had. I'm going to find out from you what you want me to do. Yeah, because if you start where you are rather than where you think you're coming from or where somebody else has been in a report or an assessment or whatever you're in a much better position to be actively listening as well, which is really important, that authentic listening. So people know you're really listening and they can tell when you're not, you know, particularly kids. They're really, really good, really astute at knowing when adults have switched off. And it's giving space to hold space. So if somebody is triggered in front of you for whatever reason, or they're upset or they're in distress, you need to be the person who can hold that space. You know, you one of you, it's how it works. You know, it's like a balance thing. One of you is going to have to hold the space because if you react to a reaction, it's just going to go up and up and up and up. Yes. So when someone's reacting, the best thing you can do is respond, which is a different approach because responding takes longer. So it's like that powerful pause, that extra minute of thought I don't need to react. What's the point of reacting? I'm just throwing fuel on the fire at this point. If I want to respond, I might be able to navigate this into a place when we could start to work it out. So it takes the confrontation out. It stops us spending excess energy where we don't need to. And, you know, that infamous saying, when they go high, you go low. You know, do the opposite. Flip it try and see it from a different perspective. You know, it's not personal. There's something going on here. You might be the first person they might actually feel safe enough with to say it to, or you might just be the 54th person they've had to say it to and they've had enough. So it's the context is it's not personal. There's just, here comes a vent, right? That's out front brain. You know, the lid's gone down on the front brain. We've, we've calmed. Shall we talk about it? I heard everything you said, but I also heard these things. And these were human things like you're in pain, you're hurt, you're upset, you're sick of this. Nobody listens. It's basic human stuff that goes on all the time. And it becomes, you know, 
lot of people talk about the iceberg and then underneath is all the other stuff. And that's used in many different models, whether you're talking about the word behavior in air quotes or, you know, because behavior is a human thing. We all do it. You know, it's not reserved just for some people. We all do it. So, yeah, it's thinking bigger and wider and longer than just what's happening in front of me and how I choose to respond. It could just be that if I take a moment, I can do it differently. I can shift us into a different space to then keep talking. And then I'm building the trust and I'm starting to build that relationship. I'm not making judgments. I'm not making assumptions. I'm walking with you. I'm listening. I'm hearing you. I'm really hearing you. And I'm empathizing. I don't have to offer you solutions or anything. You just need to tell somebody who really actually cares. Yes. I think you can say is if if you've worked in retail, slight segue, but if you worked in retail, you know what it's like to be shouted at. Yeah. So generally what happens is you don't shout at others because you've had it done to you. And it's just, again, it's that, that, that empathy, that reflection of actually I'm not going to ruin your day by shouting at you because it's not really your fault. It's just the way it is. I'm going to actually, and me shouting, well, that makes me feel better in that moment doesn't solve the problem. So when you think about that, then you've turned it around. So when someone's shouting at you, you can sit there and go, they're not really shouting at me. As you said, they're venting. They're letting it out. Don't. It's not me. It's not personal. It needs to come out. And then we can have that conversation after. And I've seen it happen so many times. And it is that thing where someone goes, oh, can I talk to someone else, please? And generally what that means is, is I've vented to you. So I know I can't actually continue this conversation with you because it's already, but if I talk to someone else, I've, I can start the conversation again. That's what I often find is, can I talk to someone else? It just means I've exploded at you. We probably now can't have a decent conversation because you're probably angry with me. So I just need to talk to someone else and I'm going to start calmly. And that's often in our experience, that's what happens. Yeah. And I think you're so right. And the power of language and words and how we use them, because Everything has a feeling that comes with it. You know, people can feel how you say something yes. and quickly decipher what you mean. The words might be the same, but the way it's delivered or the way it's not delivered. And nonverbal communication is just as powerful as verbal. And people, you know, we all read that and we're born with the skill to read that from being babies. That's how we start communication is nonverbally. So we are really actually very good at that stuff I mean we, we move it out the way if we become verbal speakers but for those of us who don't that remains a very highly attuned skill and so they're very good at reading the intention from another differently yes and it's just like it's just like languages you know it's like a different language it's a different way of being it's not wrong or deficit it's just you started like that they continued like that and you went this way but you can still remember or connect in and start to understand what it means and it does have a huge um, power to it and it it's when we're having these difficult conversations I say courageous conversations really because we're inviting one another to be authentic with each other and honest and open and not gloss over it because we've got to a point where we do need to move forward we need to go left right or straight ahead how are we going to do that without we just need to get this bit out can I hold the space for you to do that? And it isn't easy, but if you do it, and I've done it a lot with different people, the results are always, always positive because I refuse to go high. I will not react. I don't want to react. I don't need to. 
I can listen and hear and hold the space. And if I didn't have capacity for that, I would probably just choose to tap out because that's better than me responding in anger. And I think it's underestimating the power of those responses differently. They're hugely powerful uh, and have a much bigger ripple effect than that sort of instantaneous reaction, which is short-lived. And it has, you know, ramifications. You might feel rubbish afterwards, think, oh, why did I do that? You know, it doesn't sort of carry well for you. So I just think it's shifting back into, you know, it is that collective human conversation. We're all really different. We don't know enough about each other. Even if we are whatever we are, there's only one of us. So that's that's a unique experience. The next person's going to have a completely different experience. So this openness to listen, really listen, and find the way through together, that point of connection forwards is so important. It's so simple. It really is simple. And one of the things I think we're slowly, and I mean very slowly, starting to get better at, but probably not anywhere near the speed we should be, is respecting, believing, and understanding people's negative experiences. Yeah. Because you have people in, I'm talking about Black Lives Matter, all these sorts of things, and people will say this, and you're like, oh, yeah, it happened to me. It's like, no, it's different. Yeah, when someone's telling you this story and it really if you're going, what happened to me and it didn't affect me, then it's not the same story. And sometimes there isn't one big event. It is continual, low level, cannot do, cannot access, cannot go to just people, not my friends, not see. It's just this ongoing low level thing. Actually going, we're now starting to go, actually, that's not right. That's not right. Actually, you do need to be able to access this. You, we understand you're, you're not able to access this, and we need to change so you can. So, so that, and that's the thing. We're slowly getting, but nowhere near the speed I think we need. We should be at. Yeah, and if uh, we were at the speed we need to be at, we'd have a much fairer and happier society all round. Um, it's like our systems just aren't up to date with how much we've evolved. Our technology is yes. off the map. Our businesses are through the roof with what's coming next. And we've got these systemized, institutionalized approaches that are so old fashioned now. They don't work. They don't work for much of the population. At every point at the moment in society, there's a pinch point for different people for different reasons because we're stuck in this mindset of it's always worked like this. Yeah, like 100 years ago. But you know, everything else in business, in our general lives, if we were told that with our phones and our social media and everything else, it'd be uproar. So why is it like, you know, the systems that we have to travel through to get to the point of living an independent life or whatever um, can stay stuck archaically out of date and not really set us up for that real world, which is advancing and evolving and doing all the stuff it needs to do because it's acknowledged, yes, diversity is actually a thing with all humans and businesses do have to focus on that heavily. I'm not saying they get it all right, but certainly seems further ahead than some of the institutions that prepare us for that sort of part of our lives. And I think it's just at odds with itself. So it's having like these contradictory conversations about, well, we'll do a bit of this and we'll do a bit of that. And like you say, with 
populations where there has been like a cumulative effect of consistently denying access to or inequitable approaches, it culminates in in a huge, I can't imagine it being anything other than totally traumatic at times. Yes. And it's the same for people um, with learning disabilities or autistic people who are locked up in hospitals. I mean, why do we still do that? It's interesting. If you follow the news, a good three or four times a year, there will be a story about a disabled person's wheelchair being damaged going on, on a plane. Or there'll be a disabled person on a train, but the disabled toilet was not available. And they say, oh, just use a normal toilet. And they just, that, the, the equipment, that person's lifestyle, they need this. But because the person in front of them doesn't need it, they're very dismissive. It's, it's, well, it's a bonus. It's an extra. You should be lucky with taking your wheelchair. It's kind of how it comes across. And this person is going, I need that to be able to do anything. And you've literally just thrown it on the plane. It's damaged. It's now unusable. And I've traveled to my destination. I can't now. And it's, we're still failing this because I think we can, as you said, meet them in that field we're not sitting there going what do you need we've decided you don't need this or you shouldn't be here and you see that a lot and it's yeah it is really disappointing that we're still stuck here and i just think there are lots of people due to various pressures not just looking at what's in front of them just looking at if i do this it's going to disrupt me and what i need to do but you've got to ask what is the right thing are the pressures put on you the right pressures? Should you be able to sit there and go, actually, I need to do this because this person needs this and I should be, as you say, equal, and we should be t- meeting them face-to-face as equals, not I don't have time to do that extra little thing you want because I don't, shouldn't have to. And we still, we're still seeing this quite a bit in different places. We are, and, and I think in that practical example about the trains and the accessibility you know, the biggest number of disabilities are acquired in older age. So people say, I don't need to do this, or I don't, you know, use the normal one. (laughs) The biggest sort of acquired disabilities are generally sight and hearing, or you may end up in a wheelchair. And it can happen to anybody at any point. It can just happen. So it's a non-starter for me, because it's kind of like, if we're going to build the world for everybody, because at some point we may all need that reasonable adjustment, because we may very well need it. And actually, when we do that, when we make it sort of for that diverse population that we are, it makes it easier for everyone anyway. It just makes it easy. It doesn't make it harder. It makes it easier. So why wouldn't we do it? So again, it's like, I don't get the logic of that because actually when you apply reasonable adjustments or you expand your thinking or you widen your lens, you make it easier for loads of people, whether they consider themselves X, Y or Z or not, you make it easier. So why wouldn't you do it? It's It's harder doing what we're doing because we are creating fights and court cases and stress and anxiety and trauma that's way harder so why don't we do the other stuff because yes there's some investment 
But if it means that all of that's going to reduce significantly because we widened the lens and the space and made it accessible and did the stuff that the law says we should do, it actually would be better for everyone. So I just like, I don't understand the logic. Is it control-based? Is it stuck in the past-based? Is it, I can't get out of my thinking box space? In which case, you know, who has the bigger issue? Yes. I I say generally it's that historic, this is the way we've always done it, will come in every time. And I end up travelling to Scotland quite a bit to go visit schools. And I used to train, but I've now started flying and it's a busy place. And I travel now with um, noise cancelling headphones and it's really, really calming. Only problem is, is when I'm sitting in that airport, if there's an announcement for me, I'm not going to hear it. And you realise actually you can't really be in an airport unless you can hear because it says, oh, cancellation or this gate. It finally comes up on thing, but things like passenger notifications or things like that. It's like, why are we still relying on a tannoy? Generally, everyone in the airport has an e-ticket on a phone these days. You don't actually have paper tickets. You Generally, most people have a phone and an e-ticket, and they booked it on the web, so they have an email address. So there's a phone. We have an email. We have so many ways to contact each customer. Why are we still relying on a 1980s tannoy system instead of just going to that person? Because I could be just sitting there on my phone and go, bing, Oh, the gate's changed. Or, oh, they need me for some reason. And I didn't realise, I was talking to someone about this on the previous podcast, basically, if you're deaf, I think they like you to go to the supported travellers area so they can look after you. And I'm like, but I don't want to. Why should I? It's just like going, that's right. You start thinking, going, well, in reality, by putting these headphones on, I'm choosing to be deaf. But what happens if I don't have that choice? That's not, wow. And it really gets you thinking about it from that point of view, that actually how much have I taken for granted in my life, being able to go where I want, having all my senses. If you just take one or two of them away in a public situation, life can get very hard. Yeah, I can resonate with that totally. I'm deaf, so I don't hear the announcements very well. So I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, that's me walking around the airport when I last flew, which was like years ago, thinking, I absolutely can't hear what they're saying. It's what? So I have to find it with my eyes. So I'm always, always got to be near a visual board to be sure that I've heard, because I probably won't have heard, or I'll have gone to the wrong I don't know if I would want to sit in the supported traveller space. It's not really my groove. Thank you. Just want to be in the space with everyone else. Um, I think the the phone thing is a really good idea because, you know, it's just a notification then, isn't it? And it's not, I would say, probably the hardest thing in the world to set up. It's an evolved concept, which is really good. You know, it fits for a number of people whether you're wearing noise cancelling headphones or whether you're actually deaf or deaf blind, like my daughter. I mean, she wouldn't be able to use visual or auditory uh, to reliably find anything. So how are we going to tell her? You know, we're going to stick a big sign above her head saying this person requires you to. Nobody really wants that kind of arrow necessarily. I mean, you know, some people are fine with it, but there are lots of people who aren't. And we have to remember it's it's whatever's right for each person to be able to stay in that 
I'm feeling all right space and having a big arrow for me would not be feeling all right. I would be like, get me out of here. <laughs> you know, well, I think mo- most people set our phones up to suit us. So you can yeah. zoom in, you can set a bigger text, you can change the contrast, you can go, Siri, read me the message. Oh, I'm late. Okay. <laughs> it's you kind of, it's a really accessible device. You can do, there's so many tools on it. So it's like, come on, come on airports and things like, let's do this. It's on, trains they generally have those little signs on every carriage now scrolling but it doesn't tell you what's being put over the tannoy but this train is now cancelled and it's going to stop at the next stop and you have to change well i've got my noise cancelling headphones on why is everyone getting up why is everyone getting off the train i've got three stops to go and you realize you have and it's that sort of stuff i'm literally going come on we've got amazing technology now surely we can be using it for, for those who need it yeah. And then what you also find is if you're asleep and your phone goes buzz, you look at it and go, oh, the trains can't. It's, it's, it, as you said, it doesn't make it harder for me. It makes it easier for everyone. We need to be doing this. Yeah. You do. And I think it helps reduce anxiety and it sort of keeps that collective space calmer because we're not panicking about what we do or we don't know. And it's meeting the wider diverse group needs. And there are lots of different needs. And then there are lots of different things that work for different people within that group. You know, it's just they do. Reasonable adjustments are really good things, generally speaking. I was thinking of handrails the other day, which my daughter really loves because it gives her a sense of where she is in space. There's something concrete. Thank goodness I'm not walking around in the dark guessing where the next, you know, street furniture thing is. I actually have a handrail and the sense of relief must be palpable because it's it's just it's a small thing. But then I watched my dad use it because we have them outside of our door uh, to go up the steps because he's older now. And that that's helpful for him without us thinking about, you know, it's just helpful. They're just useful things. You know, they're not getting in anyone's way, but they're helping not just his granddaughter, but him as well, quite without us that being the intent. Yeah, so I think, I mean, you should you, you should take that idea, run with it to Heathrow. There's a great lady there who's doing loads of work around diversity, Jenny McLaughlin. She's amazing. And I'm sure she'd be very interested in hearing about that. Because it's, just, just, it's a just, simple thing. Like you say, we've got the technology for it. Yeah. We, and that's the thing is, I know probably about 15 years ago when they first started trying to get rid of the, the old paper bus timetables and certain bus companies got rid of them about 15 years ago and just put a QR code. I'm going. I like your idea, but that's a bit early. And there are certain people who who cannot access. If I say the word QR code and you're over a certain age, I'm being very stereotypical, we'll have no idea what I mean by a QR code. So we can't just go, let's go fully tech. We've still got to do that middle ground until we make technology so easy that even when I'm 95, I still get the latest technology, which that's the thing is we've got to reflect on that as well. We were there with the flip phones, with the old brick Nokia 5110s, which you could literally charge once a year and it was fine. To where we are now is going where it's going to be in the future. And that's the thing. If if it was like moving from the BlackBerry to the smartphone, that's – was it your mum? Was it that? Mm, yeah. So if that's your mum, what are you going to be like in 30 years when you're moving from your touch phone to it's in your, it's in your hand or it doesn't exist? We're all going to be in that journey. So we've got to, again – except that I could be, as you said earlier, anyone could end up in a wheelchair. 
Anyone could need support. I hurt my back, so I would have really used that handle getting in and out of your house. <laughs> so we all at different times need support. Hopefully for some of us, it will just be for a short period of time. But for others, it's lifelong from the moment they're born. Others, it becomes from, from, from that moment they've had that injury or that accident or something. It happens. But we've got to start thinking this could happen to anyone. We need to accept everyone the way they are and think out how can we make everyone's lives better. Yeah, I think if we think about it as a collective, you know, like we are diverse, fact. We always have been, always will be, another fact. So what's out of date in our current space? Loads of things, because it doesn't, it isn't set up for diversity. It is set up to tick a few boxes here and there. But actually, when we think about it in terms of a lifetime and a lifespan, is it? And why do we do it in certain places like businesses have more of an incentive to do that? Schools, etc. prior to starting your life there, we are still stuck in a very tight space. You know, why aren't we empowering through policy to, you know, make it easier? Because I think everything would reduce in terms of challenge, you know, place. there's so much that would shift. And we keep staying in this sort of lockstep you know same with hospitals and locking people up I mean why are we still doing that we know it doesn't work we know loads of things don't work well so why don't we change them and the thing is we've got this wonderful diverse society all these brilliant brains and approaches that could actually offer loads of solutions and it's it's just it that's why I think it's really important we have the conversation consistently around and stop attacking one another and start thinking about what part of this sort of embedded structure do we need to actually change collectively move it you know from the flip phone to the iphone so that we can get moving again and actually um reduce the stress of it and stop the infighting which sort of bottlenecks everything on the way to getting to where we need to be yeah i don't think any of us really have time for it and it's exhausting at the end isn't it so. I find I find it really interesting when I look at when I went to school in let's say secondary school, so let's say 1990 when I started in secondary school, and I look at my daughter's school, I see basically the exact same place. Yes, we've got rid of the chalkboards, which were still there. The old rolling chalkboards were still in, or whiteboards, they started to come in. We've been replacing with interactive ones, but we're often just doing the same thing where we might be showing a video. But actually, if you look around a school... What else has changed? They're now allowed water bottles. They often have cashless payment type thing going on. But what else has really changed? It's very, very, very same. Whereas if we look from 1990 in terms of the world of business and the world of technology to where we are now, 30-odd years later, and look at the advances, look at how the workplace has changed, the school isn't keeping up at all we've kind of it's stuck it is stuck in this same place the subjects are the same the importance of computing in that school is the same as it was in 1990 they have an ict suite we go there for a couple of lessons a week and we do it whereas but yet you're asking them to do all their homework digitally you're asking them to do this digitally but you're not actually thinking about them or preparing them in a digital way within the school they do that at home and if we can change that and make 
get more technology and but not just technology just change how we do school so it's much more relevant because and loads of people talk better than this but it is the subjects the ages when schools is very much based on a victorian ethos and actually what's our current ethos what is it we actually need that's yeah. what we should be doing yeah it's updating the human conversation in every space because these kids are the future. They're going to be the ones going into the future, ready to shape it again for the next one's cut. That's that's the purpose of evolving, is that we develop, change, move along, improve. We don't stay stuck, do it like we always have, and spit people out along the way if they don't fit, because eventually there'll be nobody left. You know, there's a rise, they say, in diverse needs in schools there's no rise it's just that it's always been there it just isn't any longer fitting in that system which is out of date because the rest of the world has shifted to include more not saying we get it right but we are expanding over here and this is still as it was so it is not going to work well is it it's it's not you can't locate this within individuals and say you're wonky and not the straight line we need. Can you just not do that? That's that's just it's bonkers. It's not logical. So the it's rest like of the world we do have become... to shift, like the rest of the world has, to adopt. A, a, you know, adopt a pace that meets the population we are and the diverse population that we are and always have been. And the fact that we've got all of this stuff outside of those institutions, and then we get thrown back into this one that's really tight and really straight and narrow and. You know, it's like thinking about, I was just thinking there about square pegs and not finding school and missing the mark and all these fabulous people who are really shining yes. a light on this conversation visually and these fabulous illustrations and the discussions that are going on there. And this is what they're saying. You know, it's it's not, you can't locate this in individuals. Individuals are who they are and they're going to be. Um, we will create problems for them if we can't stretch as we should as an evolving society it's about evolution here it's about we are different to how we were in the 90s very different you know just look at hairstyles and clothes for god's sake i mean i i was just one of those 90s kids that i just can't stare at those pictures but you know that's a long way from where we are now my kids laugh at that stuff and god mum look at the state of you but yeah, because that was, you know, a long time ago. So it won't work now. Kids of today won't have it anyway. <laughs> but it you know, is... so I just, it's it's very much like, I think it's, we've got to keep having this. And we've got to have an open and honest conversation. We've got to be able to hear what everybody has to say. I don't believe in shutting down people because they have a different opinion to you. I think it's really important that you're able to hear a different view a different way of being and think about well, where is the point that we can connect to try and do something that works for all of us where can we start because it's going to be a journey for many on the way to finding out what actually works you're not going to fix it overnight somebody shouldn't just immediately switch into what you think you know that wouldn't be fair either it's about meeting in the middle it's about collaboration it's about thinking about sitting in the stuff you don't like and doesn't feel right for you because that other person's probably doing the same. And then yes. how can we find the bits that do work and that are positive collaborations and that 
do make a positive contribution and change things. So it's it's really coming together to work it out more and better rather yes. than just lumping mud at each other from either side. You know, that can just carry on forever. There won't be an end to that. The harder bit is sharing the space and how are we going to do it? And those are courageous conversations. They're creative conversations. They're really brave human conversations to have. Yes. I think if we look back at the 90s, I think in lots of ways you had to conform, you had to fit in, there was a certain way of doing things. If you look at old footage of the 80s and 90s of people in London getting off the trains, you notice every man is in the same very similar suit with the same coat on, with the umbrella. It's almost like it was a uniform and we all fitted into these moulds. And over years, what we've basically said, the whole world is going, tell you what, I accept you as you are. Yeah, we work slightly differently. We can do all this. And in lots of ways, we are accepting people as they are. Still not all the way. But as you said, we the schools are not doing that. The schools are still very, it's polar opposite, 1990s, 80s. You will conform, you will do, because this is what's best. But the rest of the world is showing us that is not what is best. Yeah, and I think some schools do it really, really well and other schools are finding it really challenging. And I'm not sure anybody finds it easy to have a day full of conflict or discomfort or, you know, desperately wanting it to be peaceful and easy for all, to be able to get through, to learn, develop, grow, all the stuff school's supposed to give you. And then finding that actually, you know, the population we've got is shifting it's different it is a long way from where those education setups started and we we, we will have to move with that it's not going to go away and we're seeing an exponential increase in children out of school and things like that so the stats are there they're telling us something you know what are we going to do to resolve it that doesn't require us to also just be so punitive with these kids you know, the part of their world is saying this and then the other half of their world is saying, no, do that. I mean, that's really confusing for a young person. What story are we telling them is okay? What are we saying that works in life? Are we saying that we're consistent as adults? Are we saying that we're not consistent? Are we going to try and encompass a wider diversity? Because we are massively diverse. That's our population, period. It is. You can't change that. So I think it's finding a way to start the conversation and not fearing it so much. And I, I did have somebody say to me, somebody, a friend, quite rightly reminded me of my privilege, which is I am very much further down the road than many on my journey because my daughter has, you know, walked me through things most people won't ever need to walk through. So there is privilege in that. I, I have seen, experienced and done things very differently because we've had to. So I am there sitting there saying, I know it can be done. I've done it. I've seen it. But there are others that are not in that position yet. And so it's it's yeah. for me being mindful when I talk about this stuff that I do have a privileged position in one way because I've got to a point where I can see how this stuff evolves. I know what has to be done. I know what can and can't work. And I've got loads of ideas for solutions because I've had to be that creative. 
But that is kind of a privilege point as well. So it's being mindful when we have these conversations, you know, where do we sit in that space? What would somebody feel uncomfortable with about us? Because we are speaking from a completely different position to them as well. Yeah. And I think also supporting someone for a number of years compared to supporting them for a week is you just have so much more confidence. You kind of know you're in your first week. I'm telling you it's going to be okay, but you're never going to believe me. You're never going to believe me. To me, you, the world has ended. Everything's wrong. And you can't see that. And that perspective of being further down the road and being able to look back is it is a it's a privilege. It's interesting you call it a privilege because it's not an easy road to go down. <laughs> so you've had to take that road. And I suppose being further down, but having to take that road is almost not a privilege in the current world. It is uh, a hard road to go down. It's great supporting your child, but you're going down a road where you're kind of there with a shield and a sword and fighting everything coming at you, and you're doing it because you have to. But there are those who haven't got their armor yet. They've got a little cocktail stick and they're trying to fight, but they haven't got those skills. And it, But I think you need someone, people like you, who are further down that road to tell people, yeah, I've walked the path. Yeah, I'm 20 miles ahead of you. I've done it and you can yeah, too. And, and it's really important to be that voice. I have done it to this point. And, you know, my daughter's a curveball. So there's always things that can turn up out of the blue. By privilege, I mean that for me, it is an absolute privilege. As hard as it's been, as difficult as it's been, and as, you know, heartbreaking at times as it's been, I have an insight that is further along the road I absolutely would never take away from somebody who's starting that journey and doesn't know where it's going to end up, how they're going to do it. That's really, really hard. I think it's that because with every day you acquire knowledge, you learn as you go, this is this continuous growth and development. It's also why it's really important that we have that sense of psychological safety around us and that when people are faced with this potentially in a school where they've got, like you say, a young person and it's the first week, what does it look like to feel psychologically safe in that space? Who's your lean in? What's your culture and your leadership like? You know, what is your team like? Who who do you have holding you up so that you can hold space for these kids? And this is the stuff that's really important. You know, you can't do it as an individual all the time. You're going to need a bigger set of sort of space holding behind you. I'm lucky in that I have a family, a very strong family around me. So we have a strong network and I'm very aware of others that don't. So, yeah, that's that's another privilege thing. You know, I have I have a good support network and many won't. But what I think it is within all of this, we've got possibility. We can do it differently. We've got to do yes. it differently. We've got to find the way through. And it's doing it as humanly as possible so that we remain humankind with one another and we give room for mistakes, which we're going to make. We've got to think about everybody's sense of comfort and safety in, in when we facilitate change, because that is required. But also, I think we have to get to a point where we say, are we just going to keep hemorrhaging people and money? Because there are there are two major costs here. One is the damage to humans. And the other is that we're just spending too much on the wrong stuff. So yes. it's a dual prong. And we do need to start 
doing things differently. It's actually a logical response to an issue that's gone on forever. And being human isn't fluffy, woolly stuff. It's hard stuff. It's the hardest stuff we do. The being human stuff are the really, really hard skills. They're not the soft skills. They're the toughest ones to master and maintain and be consistent with on a daily basis. So it's it's just this conversation, I think, is ready now. I think we are ready for it. We need to widen it and have more of it. I've written a lot about it, so hopefully I'll be able to share that further. And people might want to read and find out, but it's just inviting, you know, open the door on it, start talking about it more, you know, less fear and more openness to the reality of the fact we're massively diverse. We are. We are. Definitely. Right. I'm going to wrap it up. So thank you for coming on the show today. Really enjoyed it. Ellie's given me some links. So if you want to follow her on Twitter, if you want to go to her Can Do Ella website, there's a link to her TEDx talk it's on the same sort of area. So you can find out even more from Ellie through all of those links. And you'll find those links wherever you listen to the podcast or on the Sendcast website. Thank you for listening to the show. If you aren't following us on social media, you'll find us on Twitter at The Sendcast, on Facebook, The Sendcast, on Instagram, The Sendcast. And The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. We help to show the small steps of progress pupils with SEND make. We have a wide range of frameworks to suit different abilities and ages. But did you know about our Autism Progress? Autism Progress is our framework for helping profile a pupil's autism and how it impacts them. It is based on CERT and looks at communication, social interaction, emotional regulation, and flexible thinking. So you could call it those soft skills, or as Eddie just did, those harder skills, because it is hard. And Autism Progress also includes a wide range of strategies to help support those pupils. So visit the B Squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me so I can take you through what our assessment software does. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Sendcast. It is goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And goodbye from Ellie. Everyone does the pause. It's great. Bye, everyone.